1: Uh, Thanks to Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, My name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from active alcoholism. I'd like to welcome Jenny and Rachel to the 3CI studio this afternoon. Hi.
2: Hi. Hi.
1: As um, members of Alcoholics Anonymous, they're going to share their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Uh, Usual format, we start talking about um, family, what it was like when you first sort of thought something was different about you or your environment. Um, So how did it um, work out for you, Jenny?
2: Yeah, so um, I grew up in um, a family. I was one of um, three children and I was the eldest, and due to some unforeseen circumstances, my parents um, got into some financial difficulties. So it meant that we moved around a lot. So very early on in my childhood, I, um, I felt uncomfortable right from the beginning. I felt that, um, you know, I moved schools a number of times in primary school, and every time it was like starting again, making new friends, et cetera, et cetera. So I was always feeling um, alone and uncomfortable. And, yeah, that's how it, um, it started um, early on in my childhood.
1: Yeah. So is your family happy?
2: Yeah, yeah, they're generally um, pretty, happy, um, pretty happy people. Um, they did their best and, um, you know, I admire them so much, my parents, for what they um, did and got through. But, um, but at the time, it was pretty traumatic as a child and a, a teenager to go through, you know, that sort of, um, I guess, upbringing, having to fit in, which I guess a lot of people do these days.
1: Yeah. So where did you fit in the family?
2: Uh, so I was the eldest child, one of three, and I had um, a brother next in line under me, and then a sister.
1: Okay, right. Um, so when, what was school like for you?
2: Yeah. So um, I always, um, I always did well um, at school, um, education wise. But like I said, I you know just that whole fitting in, and and I was um, a chronic people pleaser right from the beginning, and so if to be friends I would do anything. I would do anything you asked me and um and you know, some of those things that, you know, I was asked um, you know, weren't um weren't always the right thing. Um there was um, you know, I guess a lot of people experience a, a bit of bullying too and, and that happened early on and so I always um felt on the outer. Uh, and yeah.
1: Okay. So when did you start thinking that alcohol might be a solution to some of your outsider problems.
2: Yeah, well, it it sort of um, snuck up on me really because my parents um, didn't drink a lot. There wasn't any big drinkers in our family and immediate family. And so what happened? You know, I I went to a, a school disco and one of the girls said, Let's come round to my house and there was alcohol there and um and I had some and I I just felt amazing. I felt like I could talk to people. I felt like, you know, I danced and and I wasn't I wasn't in this constant state of awareness of thinking what people would think of me and um that whole thing of ten foot um tall and bulletproof, you know, I felt amazing.
1: Finally uh, for, fitted in. Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> okay. Um so, uh, over to you, Rachel. So, what was, what was life like in your home?
0: Um, so, I'm, my life is pretty stable. Um, lived in the same house, uh, went to the same primary school, went to the same high school. Um, I'm the third of three girls. Um, my two older sisters, though, are very close together, and I'm a good seven, eight years behind. Um, so, to a degree, always felt more a bit like an only child in some respects, Um, at school, I just like to not be noticed, I suppose. My marks were good enough. I did what the teacher told me. I didn't cause much conflict, um, but I never really had maybe very close groups of friends, I suppose.
1: Okay. So how did that make you feel?
0: Um, look, until really I launched into recovery, I didn't realise that I suppose I never felt I really fitted in. There was no spot where I sort of matched, But I thought that everyone felt like that. So I didn't really understand that that was particularly different.
1: Yeah. So was your home – what was it like living, you know, growing up in your family? Did you feel comfortable in your family?
0: Uh, Well, maybe not necessarily. I think that um, my older sisters went through a very different phase in our family life. Dad was still a very heavy drinker. And I'm not sure that mum and dad got along very well. Um, They then moved out fairly early. Whereas for me, mum and dad were much more settled – Um, Dad still worked a lot, mum was from home, but it wasn't a very emotional or very talkative um, environment, and it certainly didn't talk about um, personal issues, I suppose. So, yeah.
1: Okay. Um, So, when did you get exposed to alcohol?
0: Um, I think 16th birthday parties at the local Chinese, nothing really (laughs) amazing, good old fluffy duck. Um, I wasn't really (laughs) a big launch drinker, you know, I didn't have that, oh my God, I've come home. Sort of feeling I really drank to fit in, um, and I continued to drink and fit in for quite some time. Um, I certainly couldn 't drink anything i didn 't like um, right. i didn 't like a hangover <laughs> okay. at all, but um, yes, yeah, so I really just drank on the weekends i didn 't look really i didn 't really see it as a problem. it was just um, part of what everyone did,
1: yeah, so did it make you feel better?
0: It made me feel more confident. Um, I would talk rather than be really quiet. But I can't say it made me feel larger than life or bulletproof. Yeah. So I was more part of um, a conversation but never, yeah out the front.
1: Yeah. Could you let your drinking run its course or were you? did you try and limit the amount? It,
0: look, I think what I realised is I'd get really – for me, I used to um, – Rationalize that I get really tired, so I had this thing of go early, go hard, go home. <laughs> right. You know? So, you know, I always wanted to start the earliest, always wanted to just enjoy it, and then we prefer to just go to bed. Right. You know, so I was really good at ghosting out of environments and taking myself home. Okay. So, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. haven't heard that term before, it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, it sounds like it was a fairly casual, casual relationship. So, when did that mm. change?
0: Um, I think, uh, I had a fairly professional job in the city and that's maybe the time where I first really enjoyed drinking, um, because, um, a lot of the females used to gather it was a real culture of the drinking, um, across our workplace and particularly i got a good group of friends and they're all drinkers. So, you know, yeah. that became an acceptable practice after work, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Didn't matter if it happened on, you know, we weren't barring any days necessarily, um, yeah, I suppose that's when I used to enjoy it more and actively seek it to be part of my social life, but I don't still think I was driven by it until um, I sort of hit, you Now having had a couple of kids.
1: Right. Mm. So did it affect your relationships?
0: Well, not, well, if anything, it was the bind for our relationships because that's what okay. everyone did.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: You know, we all went out for a drink, we went out for a wine. I don't believe any of my friends really did much socially that didn't involve... Um, drinking so so did your
1: partner drink
0: um he married someone who was a bigger drinker than him and yes. it certainly affected our relationship um as time went through um he would drink less or he would only drink when i wasn't there and um i would drink more so we certainly what started out um, as something fairly common between us became i used to call it a weapon of warfare in our marriage really
1: yeah I'm sure mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. being in an alcoholic family home mm-hmm. it's everything's weaponized, I think everything's yeah. used against you, whether you're good or you're bad,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean he would go out and have big nights out, but never with me, we never got to enjoy after after we'd had the kids, he never wanted to enjoy a drink with me, and that I was quite rebellious in that, so I would think that was a good reason to have a drink yeah. <laughs> Go figure.
1: As you do. Uh, okay. Um, so Jenny, um, I think we got up to the point where you just started drinking and you were sort of drinking at events and things like that. So how did that change? Did you did your friends change or did you change?
2: Yeah, look, um I had a couple of really, really big um drinking um episodes through my teens, um, one was um, a chicken and champagne breakfast at Year 11 that I absolutely got plastered at and my mum had to come and get me and I spent the rest of the um, day and the next night on the couch and um, so my drinking was definitely different to my friends even at that early point point. and it progressed from there on. I, I actually started working at the age of 17 and then I, you know, was able to have the money to buy, you know, um, alcohol. I was living at home. I was going out with girlfriends and although it wasn't every night I was drinking, it was certainly I was the biggest drinker of our group. And, you know, there were times where I would drink till I passed out, you know, and I wouldn't be home at that point. You know, they'd have to try and get me in a car or, you know, um, some other way. So yeah it it's sort of the progression was definitely happening um at that early point in my late teens through to my early 20s where um I managed to meet a boy at a pub and um seeing a band and as it turned out you know that night I was drunk and um and yeah and he asked me out and yeah my drinking um my drinking kept going from there, you know, I, I had, um, you know, I was in a relationship with him after that and it progressed, you know, we, um, we ended up getting engaged and through that whole time, you know, it just was just sort of fun and it was a bit of a laugh, you know, that I'd have so much to drink, but, um... It was very much um, progressive you know by the end of um, just before you know I'd got married you know I got married um, we'd built a house together so my life on the outside was sort of looking okay my career was progressing everything on the outside was okay it was just that I was a really big drinker and drank till you know either blackout or drunk um, at that point just for me I wasn't drinking every day but through my 20s towards the end of my 20s, I was definitely – the drinking had increased, you know, and I was drinking at least every second night, you know, and it was to deal with, um, you know, the work situation, whatever had happened, whether it had been good, bad or indifferent, um, whether it was a barbecue we were going to. And it was the sort of thing where I still had this idea that I could somehow stop at the fourth drink, the third or fourth where I felt really good. And of course, I had no idea that I was suffering from the disease of alcoholism at that point and that I had a physical allergy, you know, coupled with a mental obsession. It all makes complete sense now. But at the time, I just couldn't work out why I couldn't stop at that third or fourth drink and, you know, and that I'd break uh, promises. I'd have every intention of getting home, you know, from drinks at work by 7pm and then I'd be ringing my husband at court to 7 saying, say, no, I'm just going to stay a little bit longer. And there'd be three or four phone calls and then I'd eventually get home at 10 or 11 you know at night and the other thing that was starting to happen was um you know I heard in um I heard in AA about your gutter being your couch at home and that was what was happening to me during the week you know I would tell myself I'd be driving home um from work I'd say I'm not going to turn left and go to the bottle shop tonight I'm not going to turn left and go to the bottle shop and all of a sudden my car would be doing that And I'd be there getting the bottle of wine, et cetera, and and going home to that gutter, you know, the couch. And, yeah, and there were other consequences, you know, that were starting to happen. I was becoming unreliable when someone needed me. Uh, For example, my husband, you know, broke down on the way home from work one night at 10 o'clock and said, can you come and get me? And I said, I can't. I've had too much to drink And, yeah, it was affecting my relationships for sure, you know. On the outside, everything looked okay, but uh, alcohol was really the glue holding my life together at the end of my drinking before I got into
1: AA. So did you try and stop?
2: Yeah, I did. um, I did. I decided I think I was around 28 when I decided to lose some weight and I actually stopped for a year. It baffles me now that I could actually not drink for a year but, you know, there's um, it is cunning, baffling and powerful. You know, and a short uh, three years later, I was in AA, you know. I was at, you know, um, breaking point. I couldn't live with it and I couldn't live without it. And, you know, it was that whole thing. And I, I even look back into my 20s, not just at the end of my drinking, that, you know, that whole control thing that when I was controlling it, I couldn't enjoy it. And when I was enjoying it, I couldn't control it. And I didn't understand either that um, now I do. You know, even when I wasn't um, drinking, I was planning my drinking, and that was controlling anyway. You know, I'd just say, "Look, all I've got to do is get to the end of the day, and then I can, you know, have a drink, and everything will be okay." And yeah, that was the way I was living. At the end, it was a pretty, um, it was a pretty horrible life. At the end of my drinking.
1: So, were you worried about your health?
2: Yeah, I really, um, I really was worried about my health. That. That sort of tipped the point too at the end, where uh, I was, you know, I th- I think I was just hanging on to my job by a thread, uh, my relationship, my marriage, um, basically, um, you know, again was a shell. Every part of my life um, had no substance to it and had no real enjoyment, I guess. And yeah, so it was um, it was a tough time, you know, at at the end of my drinking.
1: Okay, thanks. You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Um, I'm chatting with Jenny and Rachel from Alcoholics Anonymous and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism. The 3CR Living Free Show, uh, we have podcasts available on our website which is 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree and they're also available on iTunes Uh, If you've got a question or a comment about the show, then you can call the station on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com or Facebook at 3crlivingfree or we're also on Twitter at 3crlivingfree. Our 2018 Radiothon was on last month and it was very successful. Your financial support has helped keep Living Free and 3CR on the air for another year. So thank you very much. Um, we've currently raised 230000 out of a target of 250000 so that's fantastic. I'll just play a quick uh, community service announcement. This is for the Smith Street Dreaming Festival 2018. The, truth is...
2: the Smith Street Dreaming Festival is coming soon. Smith Street Dreaming has become one of the area's most anticipated street festivals. This year, we're featuring Dave Arden and band. Alice Sky, Benny Walker, Birds, the Jury Jury Dance Group, and Indigenous Hip Hop projects, with MC Leila Guruwi from the Mangrook Footy Show, and much more. Smith Street Dreaming, corner of Smith Street and Stanley Streets, Collingwood.
0: Saturday, July the twenty-first,
2: one p.m. to five o'clock. Smith Street Dreaming, one street, many mobs, one community. Smith Street Dreaming is a drug and alcohol-free event and a
1: 3CR supporter. Brrrr. The oh, Melbourne when
2: I think
1: hi. Um, so, Jenny. I, uh, sorry, Rachel, I thought I'd start back with you. Um, I think we got up to the point where you were married, you had a couple of kids, and... Things weren't working out, so you're drinking to drown your sorrows. So what's it like being home with a couple of kids? Or, I, or actually, I think you were working with a couple mm-hmm. of kids. Um, so what's it like in that situation where you think drink is the solution?
0: Um, I think, well, maybe the first thing is I didn't even realise I was using it as a solution, but it takes a fair bit of um, commitment to get enough drinking into your life when you're <laughs> working full-time in the city. On a a number of volunteer groups, and also raising two very young kids that were not even in primary school at that point, although they were, you know, shortly after that. Um, I think at that point, you know, my drinking, my drive to have a drink, became the leader rather than catching up with other people. So I organised all sorts of things. I remember hearing a radio um, announcer say that um, she decided to go drier in her drinking. And, um, but her commitment was to just be more, that she'd only drink when she was being social. So she organized more social things. And I thought that was a brilliant idea. And as someone already fairly social, I just escalated the amount of organizing I did, you know, whether it was lunches or dinners or anything that could really, um, give me access to, I didn't know it at the time. I still would have said to you, I was mostly looking at access for friends and talking to other people. But really, there was drink was a major part of it, you know. Um, and I was drinking, you know, a couple of bottles a night, a um, couple of bottles each night while I cooked dinner. When I got home, um, I was exhausted. Um, and for me, whatever reason, when I came home exhausted, I used to think or I used to rationalise to myself that that glass of wine gave me the energy to get through dinner and bath time, you know. Um, but it's on a great look when you're... Um, spending as much budget on your drinking, or more on, than on your lunches, I suppose. So yeah, there yeah. was a lot of creativity <laughs> to do it. Not very crafty, though.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, I, it's the same with um, gamblers and, and and anybody who's an addict. That the amount of effort coordinating all these all these lives mm. is a lot of hard work. People don't realise that you know people who drink and take drugs and gamble ha- spend a lot of time planning it. Exactly. And yeah, it's, yeah. It must take its toll. Um, so did you, when did you sort of think it was starting to become a problem?
0: Um, look, I think um, I had P&D with my, both my boys. And at one point when my youngest was about two, I was recommended to go off alcohol. Um, I went off for a month and I cruised on that one month off for the next five years. Um, and really, I didn't really piece the bits together. I started wanting to have alcohol-free days. I wanted to lose some weight. I wanted to save some money. But see how for me it was never really that the alcohol was the problem. I wanted to be a little bit more in control of it. Um, I think that um, a couple of things, though, that happened was, one, I started working. I took a job more locally and a lot of the people that my drinking crew were no longer accessible to me. And that was a double thing because it wasn't just the drinking; it was also the isolation. They were the people that I talked to. What I was going through with my job, what I was going through with the kids, what I was going through with my my husband, and all that sort of went away, and my drinking really went up. Then I went into the new workplace, and I didn't. I found it very difficult to settle in that workplace. I didn't get along um, with my manager. I felt very, you know, less than. Didn't fit in, etc. And I had done, everyone, I've heard this story so common, you know, I decided that vodka was a good answer. You know, I could hide the vodka. No one could smell the vodka. Um, And, you know, your behaviour changes at any rate, even if they can't smell it. And when you come home and your husband has lined 17 bottles of empty vodka bottles from the back of the laundry that he's found, it's pretty obvious. Um, And then, you know, but that didn't stop me. I just did not want to be controlled by him in any way. So I think I mentioned before, you know, that drinking was a a weapon of warfare for me with my husband. So the more he tried to control my drinking, the more I overlooked my desire to control it myself and just drank more. Um, And then I remember he was actually out one night and I poured myself, I got the kids to bed, I poured a vodka and orange juice and then thought... No, I'm going to be really well behaved, you know, like really. And I'm going to go to bed. And the next morning I got up and without a second's thought I picked that drink up off the bench. And I I honestly don't believe I remembered that it had the alcohol in it. But, you know, a lot of people said they had that, that moment when they just lit up. And I hadn't ever really had that, but I had that at that moment. And my life, you know, deteriorated rapidly from that point. Um, you know, I could not put down the morning drink after that. And I can tell you, turning up to Auskick after two UDLs at (laughs) 8am in the morning is not a great look. So, yeah.
1: Okay. Um, so drinking that much vodka must have affected your health.
0: Um, look, I was lucky or unlucky, as you might say, I didn't, um, really have many hangovers, often a bit of the shakes. And again, the morning drink was fantastic for that. But deep down, I knew something was wrong separately and, um, But I managed, apart from the weight gain and probably from the mental instability, I suppose, (laughs) if I think about it in hindsight, at the time I still didn't see any of the issues I was concerned about being linked to alcohol. But I did feel I was tired all the time and I did not have, you know, I had other health issues that were really subtle and, you know, those common ones everyone talks about when you hit your early 40s that are not differentiated, you can't really distinguish them from normal day-to-day stuff and I put it down working full-time two young kids volunteer work etc but they did come to a head.
1: Okay and what was that head?
0: The head was um, after a couple of years of lots of blood tests and the like we finally um, with um, my specialist I went into a hospital and had a biopsy of my liver and I actually had stage 4 liver disease with cirrhosis Um, and at that point um, and that answered a lot of questions because my blood work had indicated that something was wrong in that area, but nothing else had. So I was both relieved and not, and I took myself and put myself into rehab at that point in time. Still, in my mind, to drink or not drink was about saving my liver, not that it had any other problems. So.
1: Okay. And did you try not to drink
0: yeah i tried not to drink when i came out and i suppose that's when i really realized i had a problem with alcohol i came out from rehab extremely angry and i busted reasonably quickly um then i got sober for a couple of months um i talked to my i was very close contact with my counselor and i'd entered the rooms of aa through that rehab and was going to aa really regularly um and i promised him that if i picked up a drink again i would take myself back to rehab and i did i had a huge fight with my um Husband, and I picked up, and in fact, I opened up a bowl of champagne and didn't even like it. You know, I didn't like it. And he drank it in front of me. But, you know, I took myself to rehab again, um, another five weeks, came out very angry, um, struggled to get sober initially again, and then was really walking with a girlfriend who was talking about um, at this stage, my kids were eight and 10. Um, was talking about a friend of theirs that had died um, from cancer and she had kids about the same age. And wasn't it terrible, you know, that um, they wouldn't have a mother? And so, all the other indications I'd had, the fact that I'd picked up a drink knowing that I, um, with the state of my liver, I wasn't eligible for a transplant, um, and I certainly, you know, so it was really, really big issues and it was really going to be quite. Um, well, have quite a bad outcome I still couldn't stay sober but the moment I spoke to her about that it was just like a lightning bolt and uh, after that I did put down the drink and I kept going to AA and I didn't drink after that point
1: right okay uh so what what was your first feeling of of AA I when- can't remember
0: it okay <laughs> <laughs> I remember going like I like for all, like many people I think I've spoken to went to various psychologists and um, during that period of time when I was drinking a lot more they all would just say to me your drinking's just a problem with your uh, marriage once your marriage is fixed up your drinking will go. Um, I did go to an AA meeting at one point and said oh that's not for me I don't even remember where. Um, At AA I don't remember having these amazing points of identification I was absolutely quite stunned And it took me a while just listening. I just sat there quietly and listened every day. And I had to do multiple meetings. Being a morning drinker, I hit a lot of the sunrise-ish meetings. Um, And eventually I identified with things that people shared about their emotions, like feeling restless, irritable and discontent. And then gradually I realised, how can someone who has two kids and wants to live pick up a drink with the liver condition I had? You know That is someone who can't not drink.
1: Yeah, (laughs) sounds like it. Well, that's the funny thing, isn't it? It takes, uh, you know, it takes time to be able to put that logic together. Yep. And when you do, you think, why didn't I realise this earlier? Mm. You
0: know, well, it's... I think you also realise how unwell you were, you know, yep. on other levels. You know, yep. it astounds me, you know, how many things I now recollect and think what the logic was that I rationalised things with. They were so messy, mm. so messy.
1: Mm. Thank you. Uh, Jenny, um trying to control your drinking was that how effective was it in real terms
0: yeah look
2: um it wasn't effective at all it was um like I said you know I would repeat the same thing over and over again I would tell myself this time will be different and that I will be able to you know stop at that third drink or I will be able to go to this event without having to drink and it was my turn to drive so it was my husband's turn to have a drink Um, him being a normal drinker and then I would be begging him for the day, the 24 hours before, I'll do anything if we can swap and it's my turn to, you know, have a drink, you know. It was really – it must have been really, really hard, um, you know, for him um, at that point in knowing, you know, what – what he was going to do with this um, wife he had. He had no, you know, intention of um, marrying, you know, an alcoholic. Just like my parents as well had no intention of having an alcoholic daughter. So all my relationships at that point were um, were quite difficult, you know, and and I was so self-centred and so... So willful, um, you know, it really, the controlling just became, it was easier just to drink and not not control at all, you know, and um, I'd completely lost the power of choice over alcohol by that point and Mm -hmm. I was at that jumping off point where I couldn't live with it and I couldn't live without it. And um, and that's what brought me to, you know, um, ringing a girlfriend that I didn't know um, was in AA and I just knew that she didn't drink and she was happy in her life. She was married and she was in a career similar to myself. And I rang her. I just had that moment of clarity and said, I think I'm drinking too much and I don't know how to stop. And she took me to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, which um, which has which absolutely has saved my life. But, you know, at the time... I was just horrified to think that this is what my life has come to. My life is over. And I remember, you know, hazy memories of those first few meetings of looking at the floor and not being able to look at anyone and coming home and and reading, you know, some literature and identifying in that literature and saying to my husband, you know, oh, my goodness... I think I'm an alcoholic and, you know, our idea of an alcoholic was someone on the the benches in the parks and gardens with the brown paper bag and he just said to me, look, if you tell people that, they'll laugh at you. You know, we had no idea whatsoever and thank goodness there was a power of example in my life um, that I got to see and, yeah, that there was a solution.
1: Mm. Um, So you obviously look good from the outside but you Just had always in, in, in a turmoil. And I think people don't realise that alcoholics exist in, um, in the community that are fully, fun- you know, I think people call them fully functioning alcoholics, which yeah. is a pretty funny word. Um, but, yeah, but people can go through life like that. Um, and a lot of people are completely unaware that there's a problem.
2: Yeah, and, you know, it's funny that you mentioned fully functioning because I really, there were definitely huge cracks or crevices and I was trying to, you know, I was trying to hide that from the world and it became more difficult as my, you know, drinking progressed. And, you know, it was even little things like, and it mightn't sound by much, but it was a lot for me. You know, we would be going out with friends to a restaurant on a Saturday night and I would be trying to hide the fact that we had three bottles of wine in our cooler. At a BYO restaurant, so that to make sure I didn't run out, you know, like this was, this was the sort of lengths that I was going to, um, because I was so scared that I would run out of alcohol. And there was one particular night, you know, we were driving from one party to another. My husband was driving that night and sober. And it was about a 30-minute drive and I'd already had a heap to drink at the first party and he said to me, um, we'll go straight there. And I said, no, 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 we need to stop off at a drive through because I need to get more alcohol. And he was trying to convince me I had enough alcohol that would I would have this feeling for the rest of the night and well into tomorrow. But I made him stop at this drive through and buy more alcohol on the way from one place to the next, you know. And you know, that's not a normal drinker right there.
1: <laughs> no. Well, maybe it is. <laughs> uh,
2: well, I guess it was normal for me at the time, but you know, that, that whole saying about the um, abnormal becoming normal, you know, yeah. that that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, once I got to the rooms of um, Alcoholics Anonymous, it was nice to hear some laughter about these stories rather than the horror yeah. that um, was living them and other people hearing them that weren't alcoholics.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR Community Radio. I'm talking with Jenny and Rachel about recovering from alcoholism, um, and but we, we're now into Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and I think, Jenny, um, you're, you, you've come in, you've recognized the benefits. So how did it affect your relationships at home? What were the things that started to improve?
2: Yeah, so early on, um, you know, it was really, really, really tough. You know, I was, um, I'd was i been married for 10 years at this point and um, hanging by a thread. Um, alcohol was the glue, as I said earlier. And um, so how it affected it was I was still working full time in a corporate role and I was going to meetings nearly every day. And I was um, going to work, coming home, putting a meal in the microwave and um, and leaving my husband on the couch and getting to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and I I had to get to that point. Um, I got a sponsor and I got into service um, pretty much straight away where my sponsor said to me um, that I needed to put um, my sobriety as my number one priority. It had to come before my job, my marriage, my house. And it wasn't until I got to that point that I realised that, you know, this thing is super serious, that I am going to die from this if I don't do this and yeah so um, so, for a little while there i um I did explain that to my husband, and yeah, I was lucky that you know, in those early days he um he supported me fully, you know, and um, we had to get this brand new um talks about a brand new life, but we had to get a brand new marriage and um and, and yeah, and that that started to um take a bit of time and a bit of effort.
1: So I often, uh, when I talk to alcoholics and ask them about the family, they don't really know what the the rest of the family was doing because they were so focused on drinking. So what's it like now to see the pain you've caused others...
2: Yeah, look, that's a really, really tough one. One of the things um, that, you know, I had um, older sober members saying to me were like, you know, Jenny, you went through your drinking drunk and your husband, your family, your friends went through it sober mm. and that that really hurt, you know. Like I don't think I can ever um, make enough daily amends to make up for um, all the times, you know, that I either let people down or the consequences of my drinking had an effect on them and you know it's funny my husband um still says to this day years and years and years later um that it doesn't matter how many times I drive now because I drive every time if we go out somewhere I'll never, never make, make up, up. <laughs> for how many times he drove me so that's that's a story in itself I think yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> right um so Rachel um coming into AI and realizing you know the problem that you have your health problem, you've got a living problem. So how did things start to turn around?
0: Um, Look, it was pretty challenging when I first came in. Um, My husband and I separated um, and we established two different households. Um, I kept the kids, the boys with me. Um, work, I took some leave from work and then, um, actually left the workplace. Um, at that point I realized that the physical recovery I had to do was also really quite significant, but probably not nearly as significant as the sort of emotional and spiritual recovery that I needed to do. Um, and I just threw myself into AA. So the blessing is both the boys are at school, so I can do a lot of service during those hours, um, and I have a lot of support to sometimes get to some meetings at night. Um but really I you know, we lost a lot of things in those times. We lost the business, we lost the house, the marriage. You know, it was, a, it was a it was a difficult time. But ironically, with all those difficulties, I never felt um so emotionally adjusted and so grateful. You know, I had, had um people come into my life and I just can't even, I can't even tell you what it's like to, um, feel not invisible anymore. You know, yeah.
1: you're no longer a ghost. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so it must've been very hard having very young children and trying to recover and trying to lead a normal life.
0: Yeah. My boys are used to AA meetings. Yeah. They can say the serenity pair back to front. <laughs> um, and, and they're probably one of my biggest advocates, um, they never question if I go to a meeting, and fortunately, they're now old enough that if it's a local meeting, it's just an hour. I can duck out and back. Um, they'll quite happily to go. I'm not. I'm not silly. I made it easy for them. That's the only time they got free it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so I've created addicts and other winners. You know. Um. my boys. I still reflect that. Um, as an I as a. To understand how unwell I was, I think about six months ago, um, one of my youngest son had crawled into bed and he was sort of snuggling up, and he started to do this thing where he kept playing with my hand, just playing with my fingers, and um, I realised I forgot that he used to do that, Mm. and he hadn't done that for two years in recovery, little over maybe five or ten years before, or five plus years after that. So you know, just it took them that long, and being present for them and having that. Relationship come back is something I will be forever, you know, grateful for.
1: Mm. Mm. Yes. Um, so, Jenny, how about you? The relationships. What about relationships with your parents? and your siblings?
2: Yeah, look, um, early on it was really um, quite tough because I hadn't actually told people that I was in AA. It was something obviously very new to me um, and my husband knew, but I felt like I was living a double life for the first, you know, six to eight months maybe. And... Um, but then what happened was, you know, a point came where I just knew um, that I had to tell them, and you know, it was it was good to have guidance. And what had happened during that period is they had seen me change, they had seen me, um, you know, not repeat behaviours um, that they had seen me do before. You know, my mum had seen me got, you know, get particularly drunk a couple of times and pulled me up the next morning and said, do you realise how drunk you were? And, you know, so that stuff had started obviously to clean up with not drinking um, a day at a time. And so when I actually told them, I just sort of said, you know, I'm not drinking um, at the moment and it's really working for me. And they could actually see that. They'd seen that over the previous months and they were just happy for me. They were Pleased, obviously, because you know I would have been a worry to them. That's the thing I didn't mm. understand that yeah. the consequences of my drinking for other people. You know that um, that people were worried about me, and I had no idea.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the focus. That my, from my understanding, the the alcoholics looking at the alcohol, and the family are looking at the alcoholic, and so the alcoholic never sees the family in real, never sees the damage. I guess that they're causing.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and and just, you know, robbing um, both them and other people of, you know, our relationships reaching their full potential, you know, being the daughter I always wanted to be and, you know, the wife and the, you know, not perfectly. Um, But, you know, when I say I'm going to do something, I'm there, you know, and I don't let people down like I used to. Mm.
1: So what's life like in AA now? What do you do?
2: Yeah. So, um, so basically I treat myself like, um, a newcomer, you know, I, um, I know that I have to, I set a foundation early on. I had great, um, sponsors and sponsorship and members around me, you know, suggesting, you know, that I get a home group, I get a sponsor and I get into service and I make it my number one priority. And, you know, that's what I've done. And, and it's meant, you know, uh, some sometimes taking on um, doing things that I don't want to do. You know, recovery, I say that too, is about doing the things I don't want to do. And, and you know, a couple of nights a week, um, you know, I go, I work in the city now and I live out in the burbs and it's a 6am start to get into work. And then it's again, you know, a train ride to a meeting and then it's, you know, a bite to eat and then it's the meeting and then it's home at 9.30, you know, so it, um you know i've I've got to stay you know constant in my um spiritual action you know um with my higher power and with you know being of service and um someone opened the door you know shook my hand when I walked in, and I want always to be there for others
1: yep okay um does does your husband support your attendance? Or is that an issue?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's quite good now because you've seen the results, you know, a day at a time over a, a period of time, you know. Um, we're talking years, um, you know. It's around seven, eight and a half years a day at a time for me. And it's funny, we were at a meeting um, in America. It was a new new meeting over there. We were travelling and he just came because I didn't know where to go, et cetera, and he was helping me. And I didn't realise how much my drinking affected him until he turned around to someone and said look I didn't realize how bad it was until Jenny actually got sober and that's when you know I realized that um he he really got you know that this is this is what I had to do in my life for for even our marriage to survive you know and everything else so you know he's really supportive um he's great and um and and, you know, it talks about that this program has its benefits for all and I've seen that and other members have commented to me as they've seen him, um, you know, got to know him over the years, you know, how it does. You can't help it, you know, when you're around um, someone, um, you know, the program, working the program, it, um, it has its benefits for all.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so, Rachel, how has your relationship with your family improved?
0: look, I think, um, my family, as I said, aren't as an emotional family, but things are much more settled and they can rely on me. And I think we've actually had a lot of things happen. I'm only early in recovery and we've had a lot of things happen. Like we lost my dad. And so I've been able to be, so whether we we haven't had the big conversations necessarily, but I've been there and I've been present. Um, I've also been able to set healthier boundaries, you know, you know, one part of where we're at is our boundaries were really messy and they weren't just because of me. Um, and that's an interesting thing. And, you know, alanon has been great. You know, we've, I've applied a lot of what I've little, I've known that in that process as well. And that's helped me stay a lot stronger in my ability to give back to them. So there's, there's a lot healthier. Um, I think we've got a long way to go. Um, my, um, Husband who I'm separated from, he is one of the people that comes in two nights and we have a deal. He gets a few extra hours with the kids and I go off to a meeting. And yep. he loves that because he invests in me, getting healthier, invests in him, seeing the kids. He's one of my greatest advocates from recovery. Um, probably not one of my greatest advocates in other things, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> life is Take messy. you can get, yeah. <laughs> You know, yep. and my friends who I used to drink with all the time, you know, those four girls that I used to drink with... Um, Surprise, surprise. They're quite happy to catch up and not have a drink. Mm. I never knew that. So I never felt that we didn't – I never felt that I drank differently to them. Uh, I was always up the head of the pack, but, th- you know, what I realised is they were actually quite happy not to have a drink at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know? it's a lot of pre- peer pressure, isn't it, the old drinking? It's yeah. – yeah. You feel different if you don't. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so, um, Jenny, anything else you'd like to sort of add about, you know, what IA does and some of the things that you've learnt –
2: Yeah, look, there's some really nice bonuses, I guess, of um, being sober a day at a time. And one of them is, you know, I'm a girl that loves to go out and frock up. And in my drinking, it was a bit of a train wreck. But um, what's happened being sober is that whatever I look like at the start of the night, I look exactly (laughs) the same at the end. You know, there's no lost shoes. There's no – it's just, you know – The freedom and the peace of mind I have today is something I could have never imagined. Um, The ability just to have moments of joy, And um, through, you know, lots of different things through, um, you know, I've been able to travel sober many times and experience um, the fellowship, you know, overseas. And I've been able to do that for visitors here too. Like it's a real, you know, being fully self-supporting in my life in every area, you know, my relationships, being able to reach their full potential now. And just, I just, I'm... I was saying to my husband earlier this week, I'm just really happy, you know. Generally, I'm really content. Maybe not happy is the word, but, and I want what I have, you know. It's not yeah. about, you know, what I haven't got. It's actually wanting what I have. That's um that's a great place to be at.
1: Yep, thank you. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you can or how they can help you, you can phone them on one three hundred two 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 or online at aa.org.au. Uh, we've reached our sort of time, so um, I think we'd better draw a close there. So thanks, Jenny and Rachel, for coming in to the 3CR studio this afternoon sharing your Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you.
0: Thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. It's,
2: yeah, been great experience. <laughs> Good.
1: Listeners, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from drug addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Narcotics Anonymous. Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program.